Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined today by McCorney Maja. So just get into the first news story of today. And the first news story is a looming battle between the city of Cape Town and the national government. This is after President Cyril Ramaphosa was in Parliament to say that um, there were broad consultations with the country's metros about the strategy to devolve the rail network to their control. But uh, Cape Town Mayor John Hill Lewis said that he was totally unaware of that happening and there had been no such consultations with the city of Cape Town. Um, he said that there have been discussions at some point, but that this really hadn't happened recently. And uh, that as a result, he is preparing the city's lawyers to take legal action against national government if they keep dragging their feet with devolving the powers of the rail network to the municipality. Now, I personally think that devolving the rail network is a really good idea. I think it makes government more accountable when it is closer to the people as in local government. I think it tends to be more efficient. And it's important to remember that this would not just be for the city of Cape Town or for the Western Cape or something like that. But if the powers were dissolved to the metros, that means that every metro in the country would have a chance to run a rail network. And the citizens who live in that in that metro would be able to judge the politicians accordingly. McCorney, what do you make of this? Listening to the president, I'm not exactly sure what to make of the words he used there, referring to broad consultations. I wonder, this could range anything from a conversation on a golf course between the president and maybe uh, another person, relevant stakeholder, like one other minister, or an actual serious consultation between Transnet and the city of Cape Town and whatever other relevant stakeholders would be involved in this. So it's not very clear to me what I should uh, take away from that broad consultation. And so I wouldn't have taken it so seriously. But I do think, like you, Nick, that devolution of these um, big infrastructure that are in the hands of state-owned entities that are clearly struggling right, to get a hold. We know that the num- railway passenger numbers have been on the decline process not doing very well um, with its handle on on passenger railway and with conflict coming out of the city of Cape Town recently between the city and taxi the taxi industry you would think government would have a vested interest in diversifying means through which people get around most reliably uh, would probably be taxis but second to that would certainly be trains um, and if they're not operational or if they're in the state they're, that they're in currently, which is really terribly, um, you would think the government would want to um, nip that in the bud rather, rather rapidly and at least put the burden in somebody else's hands in the city of Cape Town's waving saying, hey, we're here, we're ready to step in. So it's not very clear to me what interest the government has in impeding this move by the city of Cape Town. I think that's a really good point. And I think that... Uh... Part of what's going on here is a, a sort of ideological obsession that the ANC has long displayed in South Africa of clutching onto to power, to centralization, to push everything possible to the national uh, level to decide things. I mean, there have been a couple of times the ANC has even debated the issue of getting rid of provinces entirely. Uh, and they also like to mash municipalities together to make larger municipalities. This is generally a trend that they've, that they've followed. So it's, it's, I, I, I suspect that's probably the reason here. And uh, it's not a very good reason to hold on to, to control. Um, okay, let us go on to our next story. And this is about the city of Johannesburg. There was a terrible fire, I'm sure everyone knows, uh, recently, which killed 73 people 
in a hijacked building. This is a building taken over by people who are not the owners, who then charge the people living inside rent um, uh, and, and basically prevent the owners from being able to exercise control over the building. Uh, a city of uh, a city of Johannesburg councillor is among twenty three is uh, among twenty three people who have been arrested by the city uh, by by authorities um, for allegedly being involved in this. Um, uh, the uh, mayor said today's operation has resulted in the arrest of twenty three people, among them a councillor of the city. The suspects face charges of malicious damage to property and city infrastructure theft and vandalism. Uh, and what makes this whole story worse and kind of funny is that the building that was hijacked that these people have been arrested in connection with belonged to the Johannesburg Metro Police, one of the police arms responsible for enforcing bylaws in the uh, in the city. And so as a result, um, one has to ask the question, if the police can't prevent their building being hijacked, then who of us can? McCorne, what's your take on this? Not only can they not prevent buildings from being hijacked, their own building, by the way, because this is, again, a JMPD pound, but they also have to lock up at night. We know stories of police stations that lock up at night because they don't want to be burglared into. So this is right up there with one of those. But also corruption takes this sort of form where you see people that are politically connected, right? I mean, this in this particular arena of hijack buildings, I'm not very much, I'm not aware of very many, but you do tend to see a lot of corruption uh, at local government, at least by councillors, because they have access and they can get away with this sort of corruption without impunity. Only now we have one hijack building that's been raided and one arrest that's been made and, and a councillor that's been exposed. But I would not be surprised to find that um, councillors are typically involved in this type of corruption where they can get away with it because people have been complaining and till they blew in the face, nobody's done anything about it. But um, yeah, I, I would not be very surprised to find that councillors are typically involved in the fall of many municipalities in the country. And I think uh, another detail in this story is that they are also investigating the possible involvement of a South African police uh, service member as well. And that doesn't surprise me at all, because often when something this blatantly illegal is left to fester for a very long period of time, you do find um, that someone in the police has been has been captured, essentially. Uh, and this is one of the big challenges, I think, for governance in South Africa, is the police service needs to have the criminal elements within it rooted out. They have gotten a very deep foothold. Um, and until we have uh, more effective, more accountable political governance, there really is not going to be a change to this. And without fixing the police, government's ability to fix many of the other South Africa's other problems and uh, get the kind of growth which could end poverty and unemployment is just not going to happen. Okay, let us talk now about our last story. And this is a study which was done uh, by the Wits University's Information Engineering Department. Uh, the authors of the study came with a lot of caveats saying that this study shouldn't be taken that seriously, but it still does give some insight into an interesting dynamic about the country's politics. And this is, according to this study, members of the EFF tend to be better educated than members of the ANC or DA. Now, the author's study puts us down to the EFF's um, activities on university campuses. Many of South Africa's um, universities are, are, are dominated by the EFF politically. 
Um, but uh, not only this, but there's also that EFF supporters tend to be slightly better off than ANC voters, which is kind of contrary to the stereotype that we often see, which is that people say that, oh, the EFF is the voice of the, the, the completely um, displaced, dislocated, hopeless South African, and that's why they're turning to radicalism. But that doesn't actually seem to be what's turning people to radicalism. In fact, the EFF seems to be more um, supported by members of the kind of what I might call the frustrated middle class, people who are not super well off, but people who are also not right at the bottom of the pile, um, people with ambition, but not much opportunity to realize it. McConaughey, do you agree with me? What do you take of this takeaway from this study? Not very surprising at all. I think if you refer to some of our own polling at the Center for Risk Analysis, you see that a lot of these radical left-wing ideas, especially those around race, right, like racial inequality or land reform or even racism, rank rather low on people's priority lists. So if people have a a list of 10 items that they prioritize, um, radical left-wing ideas about racism would be number 14, 15, 16 on that list. So not very surprising also to learn that these radical left-wing orthodoxies, again, exist and thrive in academic circles, or at least in circles where people have gone through university. Um, one of my biggest gripes with the EFF is the performative nature, the, the way in which they perform or act out poverty, right? The need to wear a domestic worker's outfit in parliament or to look like a security guard. You can be pro-poor people without putting on a show without performing out or acting out poverty, right? So I'm hoping this study (laughs) lets them off the, gets them to relieve themselves off of having to act out poverty, because if anything, I think it's condescending, but definitely not surprised at all to learn that a lot of the EFF supporters are actually far more, slightly more educated than ANC or even DA. I think it's true that South Africa has a rather moderate population, which is why you never really see like outbursts in, in, in protests, the likes of the Arab Spring, as a lot of pundits have been um, contemplating would likely happen. No, I think that's very important to keep in mind when understanding South Africa is that generally South Africans uh, are not hungry for violent radical change and upheaval. In fact, I think so many South Africans go through so much disorder and chaos in our daily lives, things being broken, things not working properly, things, uh, crime, that kind of stuff, that generally speaking, people out there are crying out for stability. Um, and I think I think that's recognized in this polling. And also here in the fact that the most vulnerable in society are not flocking to these radical ideas because they prefer just a bit more peace and quiet, I think. Uh, which is maybe what gets into favor the status quo for the most part. But anyway, that's a discussion for when we have more time. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we hope you found the show enjoyable. And uh, that's a wrap.